Singe, Singe, Zinga. You're listening to Zinga Network at zinganetwork.com. Welcome to Business or Pleasure. This is Cleo Constantine. And this is Susanna Gabrielli. And today is our last episode. And thank you so much for listening and going on this journey with us. Yeah, it's been such a good experience to kind of put things that we think about so much and talk about um, regarding work into a listenable project. And uh, I think it's given us, well, it's given me so much life. That's for sure. It's been super great. And yeah, I've had the ability to like really clarify my thoughts on a lot of things. So that's been really like a great exercise for me. It's brought us closer together. But yeah, I got to spend so much more time with you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Like, thank you to everyone to, who supported us. Yeah, we kind of hope to do a second season. We'll see how it goes. Um, and yeah, uh, we put something out on Twitter asking for questions. If you had any questions for us um, that we could answer them on this last episode. And some of you did submit some questions. So we're just going to go through them. And answer to the best of our ability. Thank you to everyone who submitted. Mm-hmm. The first question we had was, um, you mentioned your own initial revulsion of sex work and the moral deliberations you went through before entering the industry. What exactly was the argument that got you to go from sex work is evil to accepting it, let alone wanting to participate in it? I can answer first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously at first my motivation for getting into sex work was money and this seemed to me to be a way to solve my money problems. And obviously I I had, you know, every single piece of stigma and fear in my mind uh, about it. But I think that when I was speaking to my friend who was a sex worker and I was asking all of the questions of what do I do if, what do I do if, she said to me, look, this isn't, rape for money. If you don't want to do something, you just don't have to do it. If you don't want to have sex with someone, just stop, just leave. You don't have to do anything you don't want to. And that to me was really a turning point in my mind because I had viewed uh, sex work as rape, really. And having someone say to me, look, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, put it in my mind that it was just basically having sex with someone and I was getting paid. And when I did, like, I was extremely nervous, even when, like, the night before I went to the brothel for the first time. But once I went to the brothel and had sex with the first client, I realized that it was really similar to just having casual sex with someone or having a one night stand. It wasn't an alien or foreign experience to me and it was actually quite easy and I just felt happy that my money problems were solved and I think that almost all sex workers can tell you that having sex is quite easy. Mm -hmm. What about yourself? I definitely had radical views of sex work because I was raised very religiously and um, definitely thought that Um, sex workers were oppressed and needed to be saved. And I think the turning point for me was coming out as queer and 
um, having to rethink everything I thought was true in my life, because obviously I was, um, you know, raised to be kind of homophobic or thinking that homosexuality was bad. So when I came out as queer and was, you know, kind of came to terms with this part of myself, I did have to rethink everything in my life. And I came in contact with um, some women who were working in the sex industry, like at my university. And I think just talking to them and having like this new perspective and really being in this phase of life where I was challenging everything I thought to be true was really the like vehicle for me to think about sex work differently. And, you know, even myself and my body and, you know, saving sex until marriage and what that meant and like how um, I interacted with my own sexuality. Um, yeah, kind of came into question and yeah, I just realized that I had this fascination about sex work ever since I was a kid. And, you know, I guess it's kind of my personality to push my own boundaries in a way. So I think that so much of this prohibition rhetoric around like sex work and sex work stigma comes down to people telling other people what sex should be to them. Like, How women should have sex. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. really like a control issue for mm. like um, control of women's bodies. And that's what really, um, you know, I studied women's studies in university and it really came clear to me that this was kind of a control issue. And expecting women to save sex until marriage and then, you know, give themselves to their husbands and have like a fulfilling sex life pro like post-marriage is so unrealistic. And actually women should be able to do whatever they want with their sexualities. I think as well for me is coming to the realization that people have sex for all sorts of reasons. Like people have sex with people because they're deeply in love with each other and want to express that physically. Some people have sex because they're deeply in lust with someone and just want to fuck them. Some people have sex because they want to have a baby and some people have sex because they want to get paid. And I think, and also a million other reasons, but I think it's important to recognize that the person wants something, whatever that is, and to want money is not necessarily less valid than other desires that are uh, put forth as valid by society. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like, I guess if the question is, yeah, how do you go from thinking sex work is evil to accepting it? I would recommend just talk to sex workers, listen to them and, you know, they'll tell you that like what it's like and people, you know, aren't always aware of what it's like and they have these, um, this stigma, this prohibitionist stigma, but we're here and we're telling you that we're doing it on our own terms and that's actually quite liberating, especially when you've experienced sexual fetishization your whole life, which is kind of an integral part of the experience of being a woman. You know, taking power back is very empowering. And I think it's a really, it's a hard question to answer because it's a gradual process of realizing more and more that you can make your own rules, you can define yourself, you can have sex in whatever way you want, as long as you're not hurting people or whatever. But it's it's not like a key thing that happens. It's a gradual process of unlearning the cultural messages that are handed to you about what sex should and shouldn't be for you as a woman. Mm, totally. Um, so the next question is, I'm curious to hear about the emotional demands of the job, why people turn to sex workers as opposed to therapists, and is emotional labor a big issue for you? Um, so I realized very early on in brothel work even, which I think I, the radical feminist Gail Dines called like the McDonald's of sex, 
that it's, you know, fast food commodified, you know, sexuality. Brothel work, you mean? I think, yeah, I think it was, I think, no, maybe not brothel work. I think she was saying it about pornography actually, but Mm. either way, like the sex industry. And what I learned very quickly was that clients were really looking for intimacy and that that was a really big part of the job, even in a brothel environment, which is often stereotyped as being very quick, very, um, I don't know, how would you do it? Like it's, it's, it would be considered a sterile environment where intimacy is not possible. And I realized very quickly that what clients were after was authenticity, intimacy, pleasure, et cetera. And I think that for men under the current patriarchy that we live under, feel uncomfortable perhaps seeking mental health services and find it easier to say that they're going to see a sex worker for sex rather than to be honest about their own needs or desires and perhaps, you know. Needs for intimacy. Needs for intimacy. Companionship. Yeah. A listener. Um, I... You know, to be honest, of course, sometimes I struggle with emotional labor in in my job. I do sometimes wish that I had someone that I could see who could fulfill the same role that I do for other people. Uh, but it is part of the job and it's it's probably one of the most important parts of our jobs because I think that the minimum requirement of being a sex worker is making someone have an orgasm usually. And what tends to differentiate different workers from each other is what they add in addition to that, which is usually intimacy, companionship. I don't know what else, like entertainment value. I don't know, but (laughs) what would you say? I think that emotional labor is a part of the, a big part of the job. And it's sometimes difficult. It's more difficult for us to have boundaries around emotional labor rather than like physical sex acts. It's very easy for us to negotiate what we will and won't do during sex. Um, but people have different emotional needs and they definitely, this definitely comes apparent, um, as you kind of build a relationship with the client. And, um, you know, I do enjoy like listening to, um, people talk about their lives and I think I'm kind of like an objective, um, advice giver and Aquarius and, um, Yeah, I do enjoy like giving people feedback and talking about their issues to an extent. Um, I would also encourage clients, though, you know, not to rely too much on a sex worker for like emotional support because, um, yeah, just like, I guess just be aware of this dynamic. Like it's very easy to become, you know, codependent or like overly preoccupied with someone if they're like fulfilling this like emotional need for you, but just like recognize that this is like a service, you know, and like we are being paid to be here and we're not qualified therapists, but we can, you know, listen to you. And I would just encourage clients to maybe list like just seek out people in their lives that they can like talk to. Like, you know, I think Cleo and I, we talk to each other a lot and we rely on each other for our emotional needs and to kind of work out issues. And it's good to kind of um, seek this dynamic in friendships or just maybe have multiple people you can talk to. I think that it's just sometimes hard for men, as you said, like under patriarchy to be comfortable talking about their, you know, emotional states and feelings to their peers Um, but yeah, it's, it's healthy to kind of like have multiple people you can talk to instead of just like one sex worker who's really just like bearing the burden of all of your, you know, feelings and about your marriage and like all these things. Just be aware of that dynamic. Mm. 
I definitely like I think every sex worker has encountered a dynamic where they have a client where it's very obvious that they ought to be seeking the services of a therapist and are instead seeing a sex worker. I definitely don't want to put myself forward as an alternative to therapy. I don't think that that is the role of a sex worker. I see sex work as a form of entertainment, basically. And I can't, like, I can't, I'm not impartial. I can't delve deep with you. Um, I can't be honest with you completely in the way that a therapist can be. So I think that anybody who thinks that seeing a sex worker is akin to seeing a therapist, you know, examine that. I don't think it's true. Mm, Definitely. And also, you know, if we are seeing many clients, someone who we know is relying on us for so much affirmation, validation, emotional support, like, um, you know, we choose who we see. So just, I would just, yeah, don't put all your eggs in one basket because if we can't be there for you, you know, if we go on tour or something, you just want to have like people in your life who you can rely on, not just like this one person who you're paying. I definitely see the role of like that a sex worker will provide intimacy and make you feel validated and desired and so on. But like you were saying, like if the demands are too excessive, Mm. it is a strain on both parties. Mm, Definitely. Yeah. Um, Next question is why does lingerie cost so damn much? (laughs) And are the top ends, top end items, a justified business expense? Um, I, would say personally, I don't buy a lot of lingerie myself, but I do get gifted it a lot. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, the like difference between cheap lingerie and expensive lingerie is quality. That's all I can say. I would say it is not a justified business expense. And yeah, likewise, I'm not, you know, regularly spending hundreds and hundreds of euros on lingerie. You definitely could very easily. I think, yeah, we tend to use expensive lingerie in photo shoots um, because for advertising it's important. Um, but It conveys a certain image to clients, but in session that's not necessarily what like what I would be comfortable wearing just because it's so expensive. Yeah, um, and I don't want to knock like lingerie. Um, I love lingerie. Um, artists, I don't know, fabricators, like obviously you can tell the difference between really high quality things and cheap lingerie. Is it a justified business expense? Okay. Maybe sometimes. Yeah. You're like, yes, like get something you feel good in. That's like sexy and that looks expensive, but it really can be so expensive. And I think like we said in our last episode, like maybe just like wait until you're in a good financial place before you start spending so much on expensive lingerie, because yeah, if you're wearing it to all of your like one hour bookings, then it's going to get ruined. And then those bills are going to start piling up because I find as well that clients can very rarely tell the price. That's the, yeah, that's a frustrating thing. It's like if every time we wore our most expensive lingerie on bookings, clients really appreciated it. And we're like, wow, that is incredible. But no, they're like tearing it off your body so fast. And you're like, can we just pause for just five appreciate minutes? appreciate Just look at like this, you know, piece of art that it is my body. It took me like 40 minutes to get into this. Yeah, exactly. You know? So yeah, that's kind of a funny aspect of expensive lingerie. Nobody appreciates it except us. 
who know how much it costs. It's true. Whenever like an escort posts a really awesome picture in beautiful lingerie, I notice it'll be 15 comments from other escorts being like, oh, is that Bordell? Like, mm. And they're like, yes, it is, babe. Like, da, da, da. Mm. We, no- we notice way more than clients do. Mm. Um, next question. Is the thrill of the work that you get to slip into Zuzu and Clio personas? Or do you feel that's who you really are? I feel that Cleo is an exaggeration of a certain part of my personality. It's definitely part of me, but I wouldn't say that I am Cleo. But I do sometimes feel I need to bring Cleo into my everyday life because I think that Cleo is very confident, strong, organized. She's a boss. And some days I need to bring that. And I do sometimes wear my work perfume on days where I need to like work really hard at uni or (laughs) something like this or run around town and run a bunch of errands. Uh, But I definitely have a, I feel I have a pretty distinct personality at work compared to in my civilian life. And I feel that this is important for me to maintain in order to not feel that my whole life is work. Mm. Yeah. How about you? Oh yeah, definitely. There is a separation. Um, but yeah, I would say increasingly Zuzana reflects who I am and especially on Twitter, like I feel that I've kind of gotten increasingly vocal about things that I care about and, you know, politics and, um, yeah, just kind of being more and more real about feminism and just what I really think about social dynamics and politics rather than just trying to, you know, convey this like yes man image, like just kind of, you know, yeah, I've gotten increasingly confident and that's good. But still, I would say that uh, Zuzana reflects the best parts of my personality, total utter confidence all the time, uninterrupted sexuality. And of course, like we're human beings and um we have off days and we're complex and this like I guess I would agree Susanna is like a part of my personality but she's not my entire personality and I do need to retreat and kind of like nourish the other parts of who I am that are not work related and that's like a really important distinction and I definitely need a separation between my private and public life. I think a persona can sometimes be an aspect of ourselves that we want to explore so it is authentic, but it is a persona. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And it can be, it's positive. And yeah, like I like what you say about slipping into that persona. I definitely invoke Zuzana in moments where I just need that like little bit of extra power. I've had times where I've started a booking when I wasn't in persona and felt the whole, like felt totally off and like almost dizzy and discombobulated the whole way through because I hadn't had time to get into persona. And so I was just, um, it's really hard to describe to people perhaps maybe, I don't know. The only thing I could say would be maybe if you're like rushing to work in morning in the morning and you haven't got your head into that, you're going to work. And then for the rest of the day, you're a little bit off like that. I mean, everyone has a persona at work. You can't be your Bergheim self at the office. So you can't be your nightclub self at the office. Yeah, I was like, what? Bergheim? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't be who you are around your friends at work. Are you saying that who you really are is who you are at Bergheim? No. <laughs> <Nightclub>? Definitely not. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, is it surprising to discover that clients worry you won't like them, that even though they're paying you for a service, that your enjoyment matters to them? I think that this this 
question is kind of a little bit of a neg in a in a question almost. Like, of course. Um, yeah, I think. Like, are you surprised that clients care about your enjoyment? Do you, are you surprised that people think, uh, clients think of you as a person? <laughs> mm, I would say no. It's not surprising to me that clients worry that I won't like them because it's a real possibility. Like, if you behave badly, then, you know, I'm not a robot. Like, I'm going to have feelings about you being entitled or, you know, all these things. Like, yes, no, I would expect clients to be on their best behaviors. Um, I'm going to be on my best behavior and, you know, I think like it's cute when a client is nervous and wants to make a good impression and that's a positive thing. That's the way it should be. I think that for a lot of men that I've spoken to who are reticent to see a sex worker, what they're afraid of is that the provider won't um, genuinely desire them. And I think that that is something that clients are really looking for is that you actually genuinely enjoy spending time with them. And so, no, of course, that doesn't surprise me because so much of sexuality is about feeling desired. So, no, that doesn't surprise me in the in the least because if people wanted to just have an orgasm, they could masturbate or have sex with a blow-up doll or all sorts of things. But instead, they seek out another human. Yeah. Um, next question. I understand why you don't want legalization, especially when viewed through the implications of the German registration system, but is that unrealistic? No. Decriminalization is not unrealistic because it already happens in the Southern Hemisphere. Yes. In New Zealand, in all of New Zealand, all forms of sex work, like as in full service sex work are uh, essentially legal. Uh, street-based sex work is not illegal. Client, uh, co- uh, police cannot arrest street-based workers. And this was because it was decided that this was the system that was uh, safest for workers. Mm-hmm. And uh, decriminalization does not mean uh, no regulation. There is regulation. Mm, yeah, it doesn't mean total chaos. Like we still pay taxes and... You just have to look to the example of the Southern Hemisphere or places where it is decriminalized to like understand that like decriminalization is basically just like the first step. Like we don't want our legitimate lives to be criminalized, you know, like our our choices, like the way we use our bodies, the world's oldest profession to be criminalized, you know, like this is the basic, most basic request that we have. And I don't think it's unrealistic. I often wonder what regulations do civilians think that there should be in the sex industry? Because for example, in New Zealand, like you do have to have like a business license, basically a brothel license to run a brothel. Condom usage is uh, mandated. In some ways, I don't even see why condom use should be mandated considering it is usually clients who are the ones who are asking for bareback sex. Mm. And if condoms are used, you can avoid almost all sexually transmitted diseases if they're used properly. So I don't really know what clients or the general public fears in having sex work out in the open. It just means that it's safer, it's less shadowy, there's less stigma. Like I do not see what the negative implications would be of it. And I think the biggest problem with legalization is that people don't know enough about sex work, like improper practices in in places where it is legally regulated. 
There's things like, you know, under the Nordic model, like clients being criminalized. That doesn't actually help us. That doesn't protect us. That doesn't make our lives better. So the problem with legalization is that it's not done correctly. There aren't sex workers in power who are making decisions. Um, it ends up being inappropriate because sex work is so unlike other occupations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's the biggest problem with, you know, even the German registration system is problematic. Um, and people don't know that, but we as sex workers understand why it's problematic to register yourself as a sex worker on official lists when the truth is like the stigma in society has not dissipated enough for that to be like safe. Marginalized people, especially in Germany, I think have a healthy fear of being put on a government list. I don't want to be put on a government list as a sex worker. No, not in any country, quite frankly. Mm. But I would be more inclined to want to be on a list in, say, New Zealand where it's decriminalized. But even then I would be like, why do you, do I need to be on a list specifically? Yeah, I mean, tell people you're a sex worker at a party and people are going to have all kinds of like weird things to say to you or questions. And like, yeah, it's just outing yourself is problematic because we're still in a place where we experience so much whorephobia in the mainstream. Like sex work has not achieved a, you know, spot, a respectable spot in the mainstream. So this is why it's problematic. We all have fears all the time of being denied entry into certain countries, um, of, sec of securing housing. Um, sex workers get kicked out of rental properties all the time. We have healthy fears and, this uh, registration system in Germany was dressed up as something that is to help sex workers. It clearly isn't. They never listened to what we were saying we wanted. Uh, we barely have uh, funding for uh, free condoms, um, free clinic, free sexual health clinics, and uh, it was definitely a xenophobic and racist policy to try and make sex workers that perhaps have improper visas to leave the country and to crack down on people who potentially weren't paying taxes. That again is another stereotype. We pay taxes. Mm, yeah, definitely. And uh, the last question we received is what are your insights for newbies, both sex workers and clients on how to explore their own sexual journey um, to expand their thinking and boundaries in a respectful and safe way? Uh, I think have empathy, listen to your partner, think about like all pretty basic things. Yeah. I'm um, be open-minded, um, kind of challenge preconceptions, stereotypes you have in your mind and, um, you know, recognize that, you know, you might not think you're into someone or something, sorry, but then, you know, the right person comes along and maybe you are into it. Like sexuality is not fixed. It's, totally fluid and it's dependent on lots of like societal factors. I don't know, hormones where you are in your life. And like, even our desire is not fixed or static. We were talking about this actually last night. Like your desire is so influenced by, you know, like societal beauty norms or, you know, like trends. And it's important to recognize that like your desire can change and, I mean, studies have shown that people's perception even of attraction towards certain races is completely uh, informed by their views of that race altogether. You know? Absolutely. There are 
all sorts of things that are influencing your attraction to certain groups, like what pornography you're watching and so on. I think um, it just takes a certain form of self-awareness to explore yourself and your desires. And I would say take your time, you know, like consider this a personal project that you have all the time in the world to work on. And, um, yeah, just like, don't rush into things, do your research, watch porn. If that's, you know, like a way to kind of see what's out there, see what you like. Yeah. Ask people what they're comfortable with and try new things. And maybe don't be so worried about performance. You know, I think a lot of guys struggle with like performance anxiety, but sex is so much more than, you know, just like delivering this performance and sex is more than like penetration Mm. so just kind of open your mind and chill (laughs) it's fun it's play you know (laughs) yeah it should be fun Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so those were all the questions we received and they were good questions thank you for submitting them and we have a little bit of time left so we were gonna kind of go into how sex work has changed our lives like positively and negatively and what it's taught us about sex and how our like sex life has changed I think that sex work definitely gave me a masterclass in boundaries. Like, I think I'm the most boundaried bitch like you'll meet. I'm pretty strict now. And um, it's just informed how I enforce boundaries uh, with friends, with all sorts of, in all sorts of situations. It's given me a lot more confidence. Mm -hmm. I think just, um, yeah, just, I think as well, just getting a lot of attention off men alone definitely like satisfies that part of me that I'm not insecure in any way about my appearance or anything like that um oh, that's great yeah I wouldn't say that's true for all sex workers but just talking about myself <laughs> I I think just like knowing that my entire rent in life is financed by how charming and hot I am <laughs> you know like I'm just not I'm just not insecure about that anymore it's a confidence boost for sure yeah it's definitely given me money and freedom that comes from money. I I really love that sex work has given me this freedom to make mistakes. Like if I get hit with this 1000 euro doctor's bill, it's not going to be the decision between like, say getting my car fixed this month or buying food or whatever. Like, um, and I think that has been such a liberating factor for me and you know, the, the freedom to travel and the freedom to, think like maybe I'll go out on this venture and if it doesn't work out it's it's going to be okay it's given me like a career path it's giving me direction uh it's given me a lot of interpersonal skills as well mm-hmm. yeah I think my feeling that I can like connect with almost anyone and talk to almost anyone mm-hmm. that's de- it's definitely given me that yeah I definitely think it's been a total skill set for me I am so organized now um I have yeah more direction, my problem solving skills and intuition and ability to improvise, I think are like so on point now. Um, I definitely have much more empathy, um, for people who I wouldn't be put into contact with normally in a non-work life. Um, I definitely, I think I understand more about like the human condition. I'm very existential. So I think about these things a lot. Um, I definitely recognize how valuable and important intimacy is. I don't think I had a clear understanding of that prior to getting into sex work. Um, and just like the fact that you can't actually monetize or put uh, defined value onto intimacy, like it really is so important. Humans need it. And it doesn't matter how much you're charging as a sex worker, like intimacy is, is and this is why, this is the problem when 
clients talk about sex work as if it's like a buyer's market, you know, and like, this is so problematic and kind of offensive, you know, as if we really have to kind of submit to the desires of clients. Otherwise we won't get work. Like, no, actually intimacy is so valuable and, um, something that you can't put a monetary value to. And I don't know, it's important. And it's, it's obviously like sex work is obviously deeply in demand yeah. and uh, it is like a, a high paid job. And I think that all sex workers will say we deal in intimacy. And that I think is testament to the fact that humans really crave intimacy. Um, yeah, I definitely learned who like my real friends are, I think, just like coming out about sex work to my friends. Um, I definitely learned so much more about emotional labor. That's for sure. Um and yeah, learned about being a part of a marginalized community and having increased empathy towards members of like my own community in sex work. And that's super important. I think like sometimes when times are tough, like this is a very difficult job. It's easy to feel like you're in competition with other sex workers. That's kind of just like a consequence of capitalism. So it's really an important project to learn how to be empathetic and like support each other when everything is kind of stacked against us. I think I fully understood cultural appropriation after becoming a sex worker and understanding how when people use like hooker aesthetics and language and it made me feel increasingly uncomfortable because they didn't live my life and so that these weren't their words to use uh that definitely gave me a lot more empathy for marginalized other marginalized communities mm. yeah it's like people can be empowered and think it's funny to throw around the word hoe, for example, and to refer to them as a hoe, but like, you well, know. like hooker boots. Yeah. That is such a common thing that people say all the time. Like, got my hooker boots on. Yeah, but then when it actually comes to women who receive um, money for sex, then that makes them super uncomfortable. And actually, like, hoe, it was originally a derogatory term for black women who are sex workers. So to just throw this word around casually is offensive. Mm. Um yeah, I think we were talking the other day about how sex work has taught us so much about men and masculinity yeah. and um, like how differently people behave in the public realm versus the private realm. Mm -hmm. And this is like problematic. <laughs> and I think as well, like a sex worker is an impartial person. Uh, the sex worker usually doesn't know you, your friends, your wife, your kids, no one. We're impartial. And so you can share a certain type of intimacy with someone who is kind of a stranger in a way that maybe you can't with your you feel that you can't with your partner because you're afraid of showing how showing a certain side of yourself would change how this person views you mm. whereas in a sex work context you can say for example specifically seek out a provider who offers cross-dressing services where you might be afraid to explore that with your wife because you're afraid that it might make her feel that you're not a man anymore or something along these lines i think that sex work definitely taught me about the private angst of being a man in some ways that i wasn't necessarily aware of before yeah we definitely see the vulnerable sides of men and yeah, I think, you know, uh, in an existential kind of, you know, view, like under patriarchy, um, there is this whole system of valorization of masculine qualities and men have so much power in society and money. And, you know, this doesn't necessarily apply to the private realm. I think like intimacy and sex is kind of more of like, 
how would you say like um a a woman's realm or I don't know like I I think that like yeah men often like there's all these like you know songs about how like you know good men are at pleasing women or it's this kind of like badge of masculinity but we kind of see behind the scenes like true vulnerability and um the ways that men crave intimacy and somebody to listen to them which are not reflected or valorized in the same way under like capitalism and mass like patriarchy. Yeah, I think there's often that stereotype that, you know, powerful men like to come see a dominatrix um so that they can experience the other side. And I think that that stereotype is a little bit overplayed that I think that there are all sorts of men that want to be vulnerable and not necessarily in a like a submissive context. They want to be emotionally vulnerable. Mm. Yeah, and I think that being able to provide intimacy is like a form of intelligence and you know, it's on par to like public speaking. It's an interpersonal skill. However, it's not like valorized in society in the same way. And I think it should be like being good at sex or you know not being good at sex because what does that even mean but just like knowing how to relate to somebody and um be intimate with someone is a skill that I think should be uh focused on and developed and it's important for someone to be vulnerable in your company and for you to make them feel safe that is a huge skill and it should be a marketable one <laughs> we should you should be able to put that on a resume you know because it's so important and yet it's completely like designated to the private realm and not valorized and that is unfortunate yeah exactly it's not it's not at all valued mm. maybe only in the in a psychotherapy context is it valued yeah and we kind of see the fact that like so many men who might have so much money and power in society just have like no idea how to relate to somebody in an intimate way and that's unfortunate we think that this is something that should be focused on and that men should bring something to the table <laughs> sexually you know or be 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 given the opportunity to explore this and and increase their skill set. Mm. And I think that seeing sex workers is a really good way to strengthen that capability. Absolutely. And I think a lot of uh, providers on Twitter talk about this, that clients will contact you and ask you, like, what can I do to you? Can I do deep French kissing? Can I come on your body? Can I do this and this? And it sort of feels like they are wanting to do sex at you, mm. you know, instead like, of with you. Yeah, just doing sex at you. And um, I think that this is it. If I can say this, I don't necessarily think that this is the best approach to sex. No, no. <laughs> I definitely think it's understandable to want to know whether a provider can fulfill a certain fantasy for you, but it definitely does feel like it is sex being done at you. And yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think sex work has uh, given me higher standards for sex in my personal life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like it, it's just kind of like made me realize what I like, what I want. And I think that just kind of happens when you have a lot of sex. You, you just like figure out what you want and like you kind of focus less on like projections and insecurities and being really anxious about pleasing your partner. And you can kind of just like relax and figure out what you like. And that's like a positive thing. 
Um, sex work has made me super crush out on girls like so much more. I get to just like look at Twitter and see gorgeous women in lingerie constantly. Gorgeous, like cool, funny, interesting, smart women. Yeah, like, you powerful know. boss bitches who. <laughs> I definitely think that Twitter has made me gay. Yes. <laughs> I think. Consequence of the job. Yeah. <laughs> no, not for everyone, but for us, yes. <laughs> I think as well, for me, sex work has made my standards higher for sex in my private life. But at the same time, I actually really enjoy being performative at work. I have a type of sex at work that I genuinely enjoy, which is can be really like over the top. And if I was I have different sex in my private life, I'll be honest, than I do at work. And I enjoy that. It keeps a separation for me between work and myself. And I think that's important and healthy to do. But in my private life, I'm definitely less performative. But that's not to say I don't enjoy being performative at work. Mm. It's fun, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. We wanted to kind of end this episode with some tips on how to kind of relating to the last question, how to expand your sex life and to kind of be good at sex. We say that kind of tongue in cheek because there's no one way to be good at sex. And someone who thinks they're really good at sex is probably good at like one way of having sex. Um, but yeah, just some like tips for you to expand your skills. And the first one is to be versatile and be intuitive, be empathetic, listen to your partner, kind of like look for bodily cues. Um, and yeah, kind of have some different tools in your toolbox. Like don't maybe just focus. Like, I know it's good to know what you like and what you're good at. And if you like that, do it, stick to it. But, you know, I think it can be fun and positive to be versatile because you might come across a partner who you're interested in, who doesn't have the exact same kind of script in their head when it comes to sex. So just be willing to be versatile. And just to add to that, to be intuitive and empathetic, uh, I think that in hookup culture, often people are having sex like under the influence of drugs or alcohol. I think uh, be question that in terms of if you're having sex in your private life in a casual basis, usually fueled by alcohol or drugs, such as the way usually in Berlin. But uh, be mindful of that. Can you necessarily be as intuitive or empathetic if you're drunk or intoxicated definitely um communicate for sure i think that you should kind of um when you have a new partner uh, figure out if you can talk comfortably and openly about sex and if you can't and if you feel anxious like maybe find a way to do it because it's really important you don't want to just kind of continue to have this like sex life with someone and never be able to take a moment and be humble and like check in about it mm -hmm. so it's you know kind of awkward to like know how to have these conversations but just think about it and try and find a way to make it work because it's important yeah don't project onto other people don't project your desires onto them mm -hmm. you know or make assumptions about what their desires are it can make you feel very vulnerable but it's always rewarding mm. don't be selfish about your own pleasure like think about the pleasure of your partner that's Pretty basic, but you'd be surprised at. <laughs> this is the thing actually that sex work has given me that it's made me much more selfish about my pleasure in a way that I found very empowering as a woman. Well, yeah, women are socialized not to be selfish about their pleasure and instead be kind of like vehicles for men's pleasure. So, yeah, so women be more selfish about your pleasure. Um, but also, yeah, just as a general rule to people, like think about your partner's pleasure. Men need to do this more. Yeah. <laughs> 
But at the same time about not being selfish about your pleasure, don't be only validated by how good of a job you're doing. Obviously, sex work is uh, sorry, sex is also about wanting to feel desired and to feel like you're doing a good job. But I think that your partner can be aware if your entire identity is as a as a lover is tied in with your ego of how good of a job you're doing. Performance. Yeah. yeah performance. Yeah. It can feel inauthentic and it can get in the way of of a of a good time basically yeah have kind of maybe a healthy balance between yeah wanting to please your partner but also knowing what your pleasure triggers are or like what things you like also Mm. um take your time don't always see uh sex as like achieving a goal don't be so performance focused you know like sex is such a broad category and don't always be focused on an orgasm or the orgasm of your partner like don't always be focused on like my partner must have an orgasm because actually that can be really unenjoyable for your partner if like perhaps they can't or uh, they can't right now. It can just be, uh, it can make you just feel a bit anxious. Mm. Um, it just feels again, like more like having sex done at you. Yes. Yes. Uh, be playful. Don't say, don't take sex too seriously. Like, yeah, you know, like I can have super enjoyable sex and not have an orgasm and still have a great time. It's not like a failed event, you know? Um, yeah, don't take it too seriously, but also take it seriously. Take your safety seriously. <laughs> yeah, take your safety seriously. And yeah, like, you know, prioritize, think about sex. Don't have it be like this, you know, shameful thing that you give into or something, but just be playful about it. It should be enjoyable. It should be fun. I think that's a pretty fucking comprehensive list. Yeah. Hopefully it's, um, makes sense and is beneficial. I just think at the end of the day, like, um, people don't tend to turn to sex workers in and, and want our advice when it comes to sex. They think that we're more victims than experts. And I would love to challenge that because I think that some of the most nuanced conversations about sex that I've had has always come from sex workers, to be honest. Definitely. I think we just are dealing in intimacy, connection, desire, sexuality, sexual practices, safety, diseases, etc. that we really have to consider these issues every day and we get quite philosophical about it and we can clearly wax lyrical about it for an entire season. So we hope you've enjoyed this season. We've had so much fun um, doing it and thinking about uh, topics that are important to us and hopefully important to you. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, we're going to take off for the winter. So. Yeah, we're headed to the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, we've so got all you escape. Southern Hemisphere, <laughs> Australian, um, people who are pining after us, you're in luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you then. <laughs> yeah, um, you can, until then, we still appreciate your feedback. You can check us out on Twitter. Um, my Twitter is at Zuzu Gabrielli. So it's at Z U Z U G A B R I E L L I. And I'm at Cleo Constantine. That's at C L E O C O N. S-T-A-N-T-I-N-E. <laughs> cool. Thanks for listening. Bye. You've been listening to Business or Pleasure, edited by Risto Pekarainen, theme music composed by James Trottier, and executive produced by Susie Kalik for Zinga Network, S-I-N-G-E Network.com.